You're listening to episode number 36 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by me, Kaylee Reed. I try to release an episode every Sunday, only on Sundays, but this past month has been a wild ride. Uh, It's been the biggest month since I've gone freelance, and I've honestly been so overwhelmed with work before the holidays that I haven't even had enough time to self-care and create these podcast episodes, which is ironic. So this week I'm actually in Santa Monica. I'm doing a bit of a workcation, uh, staying with my friend Valerie Van Gelder, who is today's guest on the podcast. And this was kind of the first couple days of true, true, true self-care that I've had this month. So I'm really excited to be finally catching up on episodes and bringing the podcast back to you guys. Um, Today's episode is a true fireside chat. So to paint a picture for you, Val and I are in her Santa Monica home right beside her fireplace on this big pink couch. Uh, Her beagle dog, Bella, is sitting with us. We're drinking tea and you can actually hear the fire crackling in the background, which I love about this podcast episode. Um, And we really just talked about her Hollywood career, how we met, uh, the importance of gratitude and, you know, social media, different things that came up in our conversation, which is pretty informal. She's honestly one of the most impressive, cool, interesting people that I've ever met. And this episode barely touches the surface of her career and all the cool things that she's done. Um, But for some context, Val works in Hollywood. She has had a super successful career in marketing and PR here, including her time as president of marketing at Sony Pictures for 10 years, where she was responsible for developing the marketing strategy for a ton of movies that you've definitely seen, including The Da Vinci Code, Casino Royale, and Superbad. Now she works as a marketing consultant for films and runs Depressed Cake Shop, a grassroots mental health campaign that has raised over $200,000 for mental health charities around the world. So yeah, she's pretty much the most amazing, coolest person that I know, (laughs) and I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. I hope you enjoy. Let's start way back. You grew up in Orange County? Yes, I did. I grew up in Orange County. I was born in Chicago, uh, but my parents moved here when I was six months old, so I was pretty much close to born and raised in California, which most people aren't. And uh, But I never really liked Orange County that much. I felt like it was kind of a conformist place to live, and from a really early age, I felt quite nonconformist, which did not please my mother at all. So I left when I was 18 and just moved an hour away to Los Angeles, which felt a bit more cosmopolitan to me and suited my nature a little bit better. So I've been here ever since. And you have had such an interesting career. Like you've done so many cool things. You have been working in Hollywood. You worked on cool movies. How did you even get into this world? I went to UCLA. I was an English major and um, I was... 
there's always was a big joke about English majors that like they don't do anything. Yeah. You know, that there's no jobs if you're an English <laughs> Even major. Even John Mulaney. Even, yeah. <laughs> had, we were watching a John Mulaney stand up last night, and one of the jokes is that he's an English major and that he paid so much money for nothing. <laughs> well, he, I like the part where he says, "I paid one hundred twenty thousand dollars to learn a language I already spoke." Yeah. 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 Exactly. So yeah, you read a lot of books, and I read a lot of books, and um, I worked in the on-campus cafeterias as a cashier, which is to get you know free food, which I liked. But my parents were really always quite worried about me, and my parents um, put a lot of pressure on me, actually, especially at the end of college, that I better figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I had, actually, I had no idea. And so I was reading this novel once. I used to go to the beach a lot and read novels when I wasn't reading books for English class. And I read a novel where um, it was set in Hollywood, and this woman went to this place called Rogers and Cowan. She was an actress. And to pick up her headshot, so that name Rogers and Cowan kind of stuck in my head. And then my boyfriend's friend came over one day, and I said, hey, what are you up to? And he said, well, I'm an intern at Rogers and Cowan. And I said, oh, I didn't even know that was a real place, but movie stars are there. I said, well, I think I want to be an intern there. And he said, well, just come with me one day after school, and you can hang out with me. So anyway, I just sort of started being an intern there, uninvited. And um, and I that was my first job. And so cool. it was really fun. I really liked it, and I kind of made myself invaluable by teaching myself to do all the things that no one else wanted to do, like how to use the switchboard and how to use the teletype machine. Like, it was so long ago <laughs> that, like, we didn't even have fax machines. We had a oh thing called gosh. a teletype machine, which is actually... I don't actually, even know what that is. Okay, it's in MASH, <laughs> like the TV show in the movie okay, MASH. Okay, okay. But you probably never heard of because you weren't born. But it honestly, like, you would type, and you couldn't make any mistakes as you were honestly typing over a phone line... And then it was like coming out of the machine on paper. Oh. And it was kind of hard to do. And I was a really oh. good typist. And actually, a side note about this to you younger girls, who I'm sure no one says this to you. But my dad, even though I was smart, and they told me I was smart all the time, he told me I better learn how to type because I was going to grow up and be a secretary and then I was going to huh. get married. And that was, you know, that was like the aspiration for, you know, pretty much my generation. None of our moms had worked. And um, they all, we all had full-time moms who stayed home. And... My friends and I were pretty much the first women who went to college and then were expected to pursue a career. Mm. Um, not to, you know, marriage was also on the table, but a career was something that I'll, that every friend of mine actually um, went straight to after school. Which is so, so cool. That was my first job. Huh, that's so interesting. Okay, and so from that job, uh, you so did what? From that job, so anyway, what Brogdon County was was a publicity firm, and it was entertainment publicity. So I did entertainment publicity and I started in the music division. I met um, a woman who liked me and so I ended up working for her. And then uh, again, to the invaluable part, I, there was a woman named Ronnie Chasen who was the head of the music, uh, excuse me, the movie department. And she was so funny. She was really cranky and she always came in late. Everyone was really scared of her. But she, um, I would always volunteer to do extra work for her. And so she wrote an a memo on paper to the head of the company when I graduated from college and she said Val's really great and we should try and get her a job here because I, I really wanted to work there after school I didn't I was so stubborn when I was young like I only applied to UCLA and then I only want to work at that one job like I hmm. just I kind of would set my mind on something and that was it so I really set my mind to getting a job as an assistant as soon as my internship was over and so I did and I worked for um, Bronnie in the movie department for a long time and then we were having a premiere of a movie that you've never heard of. And the party was going to be at the Hard Rock Cafe back when it was cool. And so my job was to help set up the party. And I met the woman who was the head of marketing at the Hard Rock Cafe. And one day she called me and said that she was quitting to move to Greece. And did I know anyone who wanted her job? And I said, 
yeah, I want your job because, you know, <laughs> you're a vice president. <laughs> so she said, oh, I think that's uh, so why I called. I think um, that Peter Morton, who's the owner of the Hard Rock Cafe, would like you. So why don't you come talk to him about my job? So my next job was being the head of marketing for the Hard Rock Cafe, which I didn't know anything about. I had no idea what I was doing. And um, I really had to learn on the job. But it was fun. And I was in charge of planning the grand openings and doing all the publicity. And um, the, I learned a lot from Peter because he had this really brilliant, he just was a, like a nat, he is and was a naturally brilliant marketer. And we had no advertising for the Hard Rock. We never spent one penny on advertising. Anything mm. that we did to get attention for the chain was through publicity. And the other thing he did that was really interesting is he was very early on cause marketing. He, um, all of our tuna was line caught so it wouldn't harm the dolphins because nets would scoop up the dolphins and the tuna. Mm. And we supported the Natural Resources Defense Council and he had Save the Planet as a, one of, part of our logo. So he was just, I learned a lot about how to brand things and how to think about creating visibility for something without spending money on ads. And it was, it was a really, really, ah, my Bella dog's jumping on me. <laughs> she's never done that before. She's so Ow, playful she's right now. <laughs> anyway, so that was a great job. And I worked there for four years. And then a girlfriend of mine uh, had decided she wanted to start a teen magazine a few years before that. So she and I had been working on it loosely on a business plan for several years. And um, she was really well-connected and quite persuasive. So she persuaded Time Inc. Ventures, which at the time was incubating new magazines, to give us some money to create our own dual-gender teen magazine. And it was the first time anyone had actually done a dual-gender teen magazine. Which we sounds so way, wild It sounds now, so wild right? to you guys, like, yeah. It sounds but wild that we that didn't so exist. so ahead of our time. Well, there yeah. was no... I mean, this is hard to believe. We didn't have cell phones back then. Like, mm-hmm. that's... You know, I'm not going to tell everyone if you're young listeners how old I am, but maybe they can do the math. But no, there were no cell phones. It was a really different time. And yeah. print, you know, magazines were flourishing, and so they were trying to find new ones. So they were incubating... Um, Vibe, which went on to be a big music magazine, mm-hmm. and Jane, which I don't know if you ever heard about, mm. which was a woman named Jane Pratt who had her own magazine called Jane, and that was pure female. But ours was trying to be dual gender, and so it was more of a general, we treat it a little bit more like a general entertainment magazine with a little bit of dual gender service. Like, we had fun articles like, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends pick each other's outfits. So, like, you know, we'd get uh-huh. a couple, and they'd, you know, have, they would dress each other and, and pick out things for the other one to wear, and... We interviewed a lot of celebrities who weren't really celebrities then, but went on to be big stars. Like Leonardo DiCaprio was a little boy, and he came in and brought us Polaroid pictures of his trip to Japan, and so we printed those. And so it was really, really fun. It was so cool, and we got to hire all our friends and bring our dogs to work, and we did a really (laughs) good job. I still have the issues here. I think I've shown them too before, but in the end, we only ended up doing two issues, and they decided not to launch it, which was. Slightly disappointing, but to be perfectly honest, not totally disappointing because mm. I felt like I'd gotten, I'd gotten the magazine bug out of my system. Like, I always wanted to work at a magazine. I love right. magazines. It was so it was a dream job to yeah. be able to come in and run it with my girlfriend. And the people who hired us were so hesitant about me because they're like, what is she going to do? She's never worked in a magazine. I was like, I'm going to be really good at it. I'm going to kill it. And I did. It was, I was really good at it. And I got a promotion for the second issue. And so I felt like it was just an amazing, amazing experience. But then that ended and I had no job and I'd never not had a job before. So I did a little bit of unit publicity on some movies. Um, and then I went to work at a place called Fox Searchlight, which was just opening and 
um, again, like not to give advice to young people, but people, a lot of times they ask me like, how did you have the career? Like how did, yeah. what were the things you think you did right in your career? Was it luck or talent? And I think it was, a, I had a lot of luck, but I also always showed up with a ton of enthusiasm. Like I was always mm-hmm. really, really excited about every job I got. And I always wanted to do more than was asked of me. Like I'd find projects that I hadn't been assigned and I would really just over index on everything because I was always really grateful to be employed, which is actually goes back to, you know, the sense that maybe women in my generation had that like, it wasn't going to be that easy to have a career because we, we had no role models, you know, mm-hmm. we hadn't seen our moms do it. And so, um, so Fox Searchlight started and it was, um, back in the day when independent film was having this incredible renaissance. And so I stayed there for years and worked on a bunch of movies that I loved and, then I went to Sony Pictures and did some worked on some more movies and <laughs> did other things. <laughs> did All an the internship movies. at Facebook. Yeah, at one point, you've done I, so yeah, much. I went to work at Facebook for three months when that many many years ago now when it was kind of in its infancy stage to kind of figure out what Facebook was about because I was really interested in it as a marketer. And now I do consulting. I still work in the film mm-hmm. business, but a little more gently. So I can do things like hang out with you on a Friday afternoon yeah. and go out for lunch with the wine. Which I know is what we've we been having <laughs> we've been having the like epitome of the freelance freedom uh-huh. lifestyle this week because we're like working in the mornings, doing our emails, doing our calls, and then go out in the afternoon, eat lunch, have wine, go shopping. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, good. It's a lot more fun when you're here. Yeah, because I do candidly. I don't know. If, I don't think you. Well, my sense is that you don't, but I'll ask you after I make the statement, I find freelancing a bit lonely because mm-hmm. I did have jobs my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really, a lot of times I miss the kind of camaraderie of an office, which is why I'm grateful that some of my jobs I'm allowed to, in, to um, not even allowed, obliged to go into an office setting over a period of time. And if you feel like I have colleagues again, how do you, how do you handle the, the loneliness mm. of the freelance lifestyle? Do you find it lonely? Yeah, definitely when I was living in Montreal and living by myself, I found it really lonely because I also didn't have a ton of friends when I first moved there and I didn't know a lot of people that were also freelancing. I had like maybe one or two friends that had really flexible schedules. Um, But now that I'm living with my sister, I find it way better because I'll get my work done during the day and then in the evenings I like always have someone to hang out with and she like has to hang out with me because she lives with me. Um, But I think like if I was living alone again, I would find it really lonely. And I think that's why I really enjoy some like co-working spaces Mm -hmm. and just finding people that are not necessarily even in the same industry, but just working similar lifestyles. Like I just like being around those kinds of people. I do too. I think what um, I'm interested, well, it's interesting to me, maybe, uh, is that because I was used to working in an office setting, the co-working spaces don't. We I rented one with my friend Stephanie, who you know, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. to work on the depressed cake shop for a while just to get out of the house, and I didn't find the co-working spaces um, fulfilled that the longing I had for the com mm-hmm. the camaraderie of a shared experience. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting. It was, it's, people because I didn't grow up in the world of laptops like what's right. been really hard for me as a human is the fact that everyone's always looking at their phones and I yeah. remember when the Blackberries first came out and probably weren't born but that was the kind of the first portable typing device yeah. and when the people at the studio got it it suddenly made work just all around you all the time like and it really it it really impeded on conversation I think mm-hmm. in my opinion and so I think one of the things I've been missing and why it's hard for me not to be at work anymore is 
actually like kind of being in the trenches with people and having, yeah. you know, like I said, shared experiences, the war stories of, you know, because we worked in this pretty high stress industry. So we, we would all band together and, um, and we had a lot of fun and, you know, everybody was quirky and interesting and funny and talented. And so, um, that, yeah, that part of it, I do sometimes, um, you know, kind of yearn for, but I think it's important in life to know when it's time to like move on and let the next generation take over mm. the things you're doing. So I, I know that my choice not to be a full-time employee is correct, but every once in a while, that feels a little lonely. Mm, yeah. And see, I never had that because I never worked in an office, really. Like, I had my own office with my own team, but it was still not, like, a real... I don't know. It never felt like a real office in some ways. Maybe because we were still so small and it was, like, still growing. I don't know. It always just felt fun. I, uh, I don't know. I don't even, I can't describe it. The way that you were describing the magazine experience, yeah. how it was like this dream job and then you did it and then it was over and you're like, okay, well that's done. I don't need to do that anymore. That's kind of how I feel about it. About the job. About where you your label. Yeah. Where your label. Yeah. yeah. I think that, I think if you're a curious person and I think, uh, again, now I think more than ever, it's, it isn't frowned upon to hop around. I think it's actually encouraged. Like when we were out of school and in our first jobs, you know, people would really look upon um, somebody who was as peripatetic as I was with a kind of a raised eyebrow. Mm. And I remember once when I was um, in between jobs after the magazine, I think before I got the job at Searchlight, a friend of mine actually said that to me. She said, you know, people think you're not serious about work because you're so peripatetic, but I've been employed solidly mm. since I was 21 years old. I just had done a lot of different things where a lot of my other friends had kind of stayed the course and right. you know, stayed at one company for much yeah. longer. I kind of did things according to the high school, like four years, four years. That was about mm. enough for me until I got to Sony and I stayed there for 10 years, but I had three different roles there. So, you know, but it's, just, it's, yeah, it's all very done... different. Pre-computer, everything was different. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've done so many things. What what has been like a highlight? Hmm. I'm really proud of a movie I worked on many, many, many years ago called The Full Monty because it was really tiny and people didn't have any expectation for it. And I um, did a, a really early screening of it. It's such a long story. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> the, the short version is that like I kind of realized before a lot of people in my company that it was really special. And so I was really proud of the fact that it made a lot of money and it got nominated for Academy Awards and it won one. And in our business, that's kind of the high bar to be able mm-hmm. to do it and especially a movie like that which cost you know I think two million dollars it was a teeny tiny movie and so it was a real achievement it was a comedy comedies don't usually get nominated for best picture mm-hmm. it had it had a real underdog quality so that I think that definitely was my the, one of the early highlights of my film career at Searchlight but I think there were a line of there are too many actually I think um I think what I've always been the most proud of and what I enjoy the most is working with artists and mm-hmm. helping them bring their work to a to an audience, it's really fun to feel like you're doing things that touch culture. It's fun to walk, you know, drive down the street. I keep doing it with you and see a billboard that you helped, yeah. that you know you hired the designer. Yeah, and it's really create. cool. It's such it's, a cool experience. You see yeah. it and you're like, oh my gosh, There's you're my working culture. on that. Yeah. yeah. And so, I think um, I still I still get excited about. It. I mean, even you know, I've been consulting at a movie studio, and I still get. I feel like maybe I'm a little jaded from having done it for so long, but when I drive on the lot, I still get a little feeling like, mm. oh, this is kind of fun. I'm mm-hmm. in a movie studio. So I try and maintain um, childlike enthusiasm about everything. I think it's a, a good quality to have. It's really easy to get kind of humdrum and 
mundane when you've been doing things for a really long time. So I fight hard against that. Mm -hmm. And that's what um, I try and think that there's going to be other highlights ahead of me and that they're, hopefully they're not all behind me, but there's been, there's been quite a few. Yeah. And that's an interesting point, like being jaded in the industry and especially... I think because so many people from the outside looking in see it and they're like seeing it as this glamorous, amazing, which it is. It's like so cool. So I don't like dreamlike. Um, we went to the Mary Poppins returns premiere on whatever day I got here or whatever day that was a couple days ago. And for me, like somebody who's never been to a premiere before, it was such a cool experience because you walk in and everything's decorated and there's celebrities and we're like 10 feet away from Emily Blunt and John Krasinski and I'm like trying to stay cool and <laughs> not fangirl over like Stacey London and all these people. Um, but then for people in the industry, it's just like, oh, whatever. Like we were at the office uh, earlier, your office, and someone was like, oh, like, I hate going to premieres. And so it's so interesting because from the outside, everybody thinks it's so amazing. But if you're working in it, like it is work. Mm -hmm. So where, where do you get that enthusiasm from? Do you think? I is that a weird question? No, no, it's not a weird question because I don't know that I'm always good at it. I think, um, when I left the studio, I was pretty burned out on everything. And, but I kind of kept my hand in it over the years. And I think now with some perspective and some time away from my full-time job, um, I'm actually more able to be excited about it actually, because I feel really mm -hmm. grateful to be able to still have these opportunities. It's not, sometimes it's not that easy when you've left your full-time job the way I did. And so I think that helps me maintain my enthusiasm and I'm, I'm gratified to be able to still be able to do the things I like to do and then also have a little free time on mm -hmm. top of it. So long may it last. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess if it's work that you love doing, right, that makes such a big difference. Mm. Yeah, and the people are just so interesting. Like, I never, ever get jaded about working with really talented directors. Yeah. I really, that's my favorite part of the job. Like, I love working with the writers and directors because they're so creative and they're so smart and they're so interesting and so that... You know, that part never gets old for me. Yeah. What other things do you do for self-care? Actually, I guess what's interesting is how we met. Because, <laughs> because we are from totally different worlds. Um, and we met because of the internet, thankfully. Yeah, thankfully. The <laughs> Whatever internet, yes. article, BuzzFeed, or Today. I, I or on the Today Show. Today Show, yeah. okay. Um, when I was doing where your label stuff, mental health advocacy, and you were running and are still running the depressed cake shop. Um, and you had reached out to me and we were just emailing back and forth about what you were doing and what we were doing. And I was in Canada and you were in LA and, uh, I think you had invited us to come and do like a pop-up shop here and you invited us to stay in your house also. And I was like, who's this random woman on the internet who is inviting me, but also like five of my team members to come and stay in her house in Santa Monica? Okay, whatever. And I didn't know anything about you other than Apparently you didn't like, use the internet. <laughs> yeah, I don't like I didn't I didn't Google you. I didn't like, you know, I didn't know that you were who you are, that you had like this successful Hollywood career. Um, and it's been so cool to get to know you from that experience, but we've really bonded, I think, over the mental health advocacy piece, which is another interesting factor because that 
is also something where people get really jaded in that community and it's really difficult to stay motivated and inspired mm -hmm. to do advocacy work and to put on events and to do fundraisers mm -hmm. and to sell merchandise when you are also struggling. Um, what, I mean, I don't even know how to like briefly talk about the inspirations and the things that keep us going, but I guess what keeps you inspired to that's an interesting question. I think what keeps me I think what's been nice about the press cake shop is that uh, it's been it was first popped up five years ago and I think a combination of social media I right actually it's all social media. It's just by you know staying and kind of keeping up to date on the social media part. It's become something that charities have um, identified as just really good fundraiser. It's a, it's a good branded fundraiser. It kind of goes back to my Hard Rock Cafe days, which mm. is I think I took a lot of inspiration from a Hard Rock Cafe about when you have a good name like Depressed Cake Shop. And I didn't come up with it. It was a woman named Emma Thomas who um, founded it in the UK. But when she moved on, I just took it over so it wouldn't go away forever because it felt like it was something that had some sustainability. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't like, I mean, I read, the beginning I got really excited about doing the pop-ups, but I have to say, I guess maybe I'm somebody who, once I do something a few times, I don't want to do it anymore. Mm. So I don't enjoy, <laughs> my friends in the kitchen laughing. Um, <laughs> uh, so I have done my best to make the, the website as self-service as possible so yeah. that people can just do their own pop-ups. And it's been really, that's the part I found very gratifying is that, all around the world, there are multiple pop-ups every year. There are some charities that have made them their annual, fun, annual fundraising events. In Portland, Oregon, there's a charity called Baby Blues Connection, and they basically, I gave them their own Facebook page, so they have kind of taken it on as their fundraiser, and they've gone from doing one a year to two years, and this year their goal is to do four, and they love it. So it's just been... I find it gratifying to see other people get as excited as I was the first mm -hmm. time I did it mm -hmm. because when we did the first one in Los Angeles and we had worked so hard, it was with a woman named Rebecca Swanner who I met on Facebook because <laughs> super long story. I can't even tell it. But anyway, the point is we popped up this cake shop on a Friday night and on a Saturday afternoon in Santa, uh, excuse me, in Venice. And when all the people showed up, it was that same feeling of excitement I think they have when you work on a little movie and you go to the movie theater mm. and all the people are there. It's a similar sensation which is you've had an idea you've incubated it you've called press people and they've written about it like and suddenly it's in the world and other people know about it and that's because you put some effort into it so to be able to do that for something that was raising money and awareness for a cause that was really dear to my heart because my dad has struggled uh badly with it and um i spend a lot of time being his caregiver and learning about the deficiencies in our mental health system uh, that part was amazing. So I stick with it, but a little bit less aggressively to mm -hmm. make sure that people will still discover it and find it and make it their own. And I do have a quiet hope that someday someone will want to take it from me and really make it into something. I don't think it's something I will ever scale. Mm -hmm. I, I had over the years, I've had, you know, fits and starts and thought about it, but ultimately I don't think that it's something that, um, I'm, I don't think I'm the right person. If it's going to have a life bigger than it has now, I think there's somebody else out there who will do it more effectively. So you might do it with them. Maybe, <laughs> says Lisa from the kitchen. So if there's anyone yeah, out there who wants to run the depressed cake, though, send me an email. This has become a little live podcast taping. You got the dog, <laughs> we have you got two friends. Dogs. Yeah, oh, tea. two dogs, yeah. <laughs> um, 
kind of this recurring theme this week almost has been a love-hate relationship with social media and Mm -hmm. with technology because for my own mental health and I think for yours as well we've talked about this that having a screen and having all of the noise on Instagram and on Facebook and all of these social media networks it can be really distracting and just too much for somebody with mental health issues sometimes Um, it can provoke like a lot of anxiety and, you know, there's the comparisons and the competition. And I think especially with young people, uh, but the other side of it is that this is, you know, how things like the press cake shop have Mm -hmm. grown to what they are. We never would have met. This is how we met. Like so many people in my life, I think almost like all of my closest friends actually, Um, I've been connected to because of social media and shared interests and shared communities that we're a part of. And so I think that's, I don't, I don't know what to think about that. I, yeah, I think I'm just taking a little break right now. Yeah. Because you deactivated deactivated Facebook, right? I deactivated my Facebook page a few weeks ago. Um, part of it, there are, you know, some reasons why I did that this year, but you know, I realized, look, I had 2,747 friends and I'm putting friends in quote marks. And I didn't know a lot of them, and I didn't, I wasn't getting the utility I wanted to out of it. Like, I wasn't meeting people anymore. It was just a lot of, you know, me not reading books or not doing Mm. other things or, you know, doing some of my hobbies. Like, as you've seen, I really am interested right now in watercolor. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to fill the time I might have filled sort of mindlessly scrolling down Facebook, which became, I will openly admit, a really bad habit of mine, um, doing other things. And I might go back to it someday, but I did... Yeah, I agree that you and I wouldn't have met because of it, but I feel like that sort of stopped happening for me in the last year or so, maybe because I was using it differently, maybe because I had kind of taken my foot off the pedal at the press cake shop, and I wasn't actively reaching out to people like you anymore uh, because I was kind of taking a more of a backseat approach Mm -hmm. to it. So, yeah, love-hate is a pretty good description. I thought it was amazing when it first started, Mm -hmm. and then with everything that's gone on, you know, with the election and the you know, tampering and the ads and the things. And it just, I felt like it was, I needed a little break from it. Yeah. Yeah. And while I have this conversation often with my friends that don't work in social media or don't work in marketing, but they spend so much time on these apps and they're complaining about it. And I'm like, guys, like if I didn't have to work on Instagram, like if that wasn't a big part of my job, I would actively try to not be on well, it. Yeah, I don't have a personal and, Instagram page. Yeah, yeah so I it's, use it for depressed cake shop, and the only reason I have to stay connected to Facebook is for depressed cake shop. Right. Like, if I didn't, if I was going to give depressed cake shop to somebody else, I probably would never. I shouldn't say never because you you brought up a good point about meeting people, but mm-hmm. if I ever decide I want to do that again, I don't. <laughs> if I, don't I ever want to meet people, if again. I ever want to meet people again on the internet. <laughs> But, um, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, right now, I don't miss it, actually. I really yeah. don't, and I do feel a lot more um, peaceful not seeing a lot of things that I just didn't, I wasn't interested in. That we don't need. Like, so much of it is just yeah, it's, fluff, right? I went to a, um, an interesting thing. A girlfriend of mine, this uh, woman named Erica, did this digital detox where she kind of had a whole bunch of people in a room in a meditation center, actually, and we sat on meditation mats, and she talked to us about Facebook. And one of the things she said that I thought was so interesting was the thing about it is that it pushes news to you that you, you have no control over what you're going to see. In the mm-hmm. old days, 
well, in the old days, oldie <laughs> days, you know, I would pick up the newspaper and I would read the articles that I wanted to read. Right. But having no control over the information that's coming into your brain, I think that also started to you know, wear on me and, and mm. um, get on my nerves. Like articles I didn't necessarily want to read, but they were there and then I would. Or, And so her point was that an algorithm and a big company is dictating what information you're receiving. And I think that really, that really resonated with me after a bit. And I thought I should maybe go out and like pursue input that I'm interested in rather than accepting input that somebody else thinks I should look at. Right. Yeah. This just came to me. Um, has social media impacted the way that movies are marketed a lot? Like how, how has that shift well, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of, you know, it's the reason I worked at Facebook to understand how we could use it. And well, actually you're a consumer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does it impact how you consume movies? Do you get your information about movies from Facebook or Instagram? And then how often do you go to the movies based on the information mm-hmm. you've gotten from Facebook or Instagram? Well, I definitely, there's like trailers that go viral mm-hmm. for certain things. Um, and certain marketing things that I like very strongly remember seeing on Facebook and people sharing on Facebook. And the one that comes to mind was when Jurassic world, mm-hmm. what was the newest one that sure. just came out? Jurassic fallen kingdom or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, they had done a couple different, they weren't like trailers, but they were like teaser videos mm-hmm. where the actors are in it and, I, I don't know how to explain it, but... They're like little featurettes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, exactly. So the are being interviewed and then they show footage? That, it was almost, it was like a trailer, but it was not a trailer. I don't even know how to describe <laughs> it. I don't know what that is. <laughs> but there, like, there was one, um, one of them was this guy had been dressed up in a giant, like, dinosaur, dinosaur costume and was chasing like (laughs) running through the streets of new york or whatever and i thought it was a spoof i thought it was like a youtube video that someone had made Mm -hmm. and then at the end chris pratt Mm -hmm. is it chris pratt chris pratt and whatever the actress's name they come out and their characters were in it and then it was like actually an official right trailer for it and i was like oh wow basically it's almost like a talk show appearance like that's when you have the talent mm. do something fun like mm. when they go on Saturday Night Live yeah, yeah. or when they do yeah. carpool karaoke right so it, but what's I think what has been good about Facebook if you're clever and you can do it correctly and you're, in, and you're creative like the people at Universal are they do such good I think they have a great digital team is that you can actually control where who sees those things you don't have right. to wait for James Corden to take your actor yeah so that's one interesting thing that I'll say um I can't remember I think think it was oh you know what it was it was Mm. Thor the second Thor movie Mm -hmm. which my boyfriend at the time had seen and I had never seen it and we were going to see the new uh, Avengers and on our way he started talking about uh, the Thor the second Thor movie and I was like I didn't see a second Thor movie and he was like oh yeah it came out like months ago and I was like what do you mean? And I didn't have cable TV at the time, so right. I wasn't seeing like trailers for things in commercials or anything like that. I hadn't been to the movies in a while, so I hadn't seen what was playing. And then I started thinking, oh my gosh, did I not get marketed Thor because they think that I don't want to see it? And then I had like a really weird thought where I was like, is it because of my demographic? And now the way that they're like, marketing on Facebook, they think, oh, like a 25-year-old millennial girl boss feminist woman doesn't want to see 
this Thor movie? I don't know. It was like a strange sure. thing I mean, for me. It feels like they should because you're in definitely 25 to 34 is just a movie demographic, especially right. for a movie like that. What they do do is they do a lot of retargeting on social mm. media. So like if you looked at the, if you had actually looked at the trailer, then you would start seeing commercials it everywhere. For it. Yeah. So maybe right. you just never interacted with yeah. any movie. You probably don't interact with a lot of movie media. Yeah. And so if you don't, I the algorithm probably doesn't think, probably thinks you're not that interested in movies. Right. So, but none of us really know how it actually works. <laughs> we just pretend. But I do think it has changed the way we market movies a lot. And just the fact that no one watches TV commercials because yeah. that was the primary advertising vehicle for so many years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everything's a lot, lot, lot different now, which is why mm-hmm. I do think that, that there are people who are probably more equipped and are, you know, digitally native coming up that maybe have, more of a handle on it? I don't know. I think that the best thing in companies is someone with some experience and then just young people, not just young people, then lots of young people who come with enthusiasm. And I think the other thing that's great about being young, and I remember this from when I was young, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's really powerful. You're not scared. Like when I was talking about the full Monty, like I didn't know it was impossible. My boss, you know, the head of the studio told me it was impossible what I wanted to do. And he actually patted me on the head and said, like, you're so cute. It's never going to happen. And I was like, well, yeah, it is. Oh my gosh. So there were things I, now as I've gotten a little bit older, the things I probably wouldn't try because I know they're impossible. So I do think hmm. it's good in a company to have a, a mix of people so that you can kind of, going back to our um, earlier conversation about childish enthusiasm, uh, you need a lot of... Um, different kinds of people who are willing to different, try different kinds of things because it's not as straightforward as it used to be. Yeah. Know, we used to have, a, it, we had two newspapers and three TV stations and everything was different. Yeah. And now, now there's so There's many so things. much content. So much noise. Like you could just sit on YouTube for right. years yeah. and, and not even make it, it through all the cat videos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the watercolor tutorials. That's or the I watercolor like. tutorials. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Which is kind of scary, but also like really amazing. It is. Because there's yeah. so much... What I love about it is that there's just so much to learn. Exactly. Always. Like yeah, and that's why always I've, be I've actually... Well, I've replaced social media with learning. So mm-hmm. it's not that I'm not on my screen as much, which yeah. I probably should be the next step. But I have... I do take, take classes more. And I try and learn things rather than looking at pictures of my friends' kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I don't want to wrap this, but I feel like we should... Uh, yeah, we can do, well, well, we can we can do, do more. I'm sure people just want to listen to us talk for the rest of their life. <laughs> this is what this is. Hey, it's my podcast. It's I can podcast. do whatever I want. <laughs> so today for our self-care Saturday, what, what should we do next? Um, we should, I don't know, have some drinks, make some food. I think it might be time for cocktails. Yeah. looking, waiting very patiently in the kitchen. I think yeah. it might be time to open. Maybe support supportive of that. Supportive of cocktails. <laughs> it's cocktail time. I see a bottle on the counter. All right. Well, okay. Let's go. What, honey? I did, too. Yeah, someone left it here. Yeah. All right, let's give a name check to our friend, Honey Ross, who left us something that I think we're going to go open right now. Shout out to Honey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank Um, you. Awesome. Thank you so so much. It's so... I just love... You know, as much as... It's funny because when I came here this past week, I was thinking how much our lives have changed since we met just Mm. two years ago. Like, completely different jobs, different lives, men, everything... And what I've become really appreciative in my life is just the female friendships that I have and how much I learn from you and just appreciate your love. And it's been really lovely. So thank well, you so much. I appreciate much. your love. Aww. So I'm looking forward to all the things we're going to do in the future together. And many more podcasts to come. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Okay.
Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Self-Care Sunday. If you want to learn more about the Depressed Cake Shop, you can find Val on Instagram and Facebook at Depressed Cake Shop. Uh, definitely check out how to host a fundraiser. There's some merchandise you can buy. Uh, it's all for a super amazing cause and she's so passionate about it. And if you want to follow Self-Care Sunday, you can find me on Instagram at Self-Care Sunday, which is kind of my mood board. And then me at Kaylee, K-A-Y-L-E-Y dot E on Instagram as well. You should subscribe, um, on iTunes, Spotify, literally wherever you listen to podcasts, subscriptions actually mean so much to podcast creators. And especially if you leave a review or a rating, it helps the show gets, get ranked better, uh, on whatever platform you're listening on, particularly Apple podcasts. So please take some time out of your day to do that. If you enjoy the show and if you want to hear more episodes, happy self-care Sunday, everyone. (laughs) 